0: Seven Habits of Effective Ministry, Chapters 7 and 14. Chapter 7, The Roar of the Crowd The first four practices are all about making changes to the organization, Pete began. The last three require a personal change for the leader, and sometimes that's a little more difficult. What is practice number five, Ray asked, ready to write? Number five is listen to outsiders. Listening, Ray responded, I don't mean to be arrogant here, Pete, but listening is actually something we do pretty well. In fact, I spend most of my time listening. Yes, but you listen to problems and provide solutions. I'm talking about listening to people outside of the church for answers, not questions. Ray thought about this quietly. He wasn't ready to surrender to the high ground on this point yet. Pete broke the silence. Ray, let me ask you something and be honest with me and yourself. When you first realized that a tired old businessman who hadn't darkened the door of a church in 50 years was going to give you pointers on running your church, what was your first reaction? Ray surrendered the high ground. Embarrassed, he admitted his first reaction to Pete. What can this guy possibly tell me about running a church? You wouldn't be normal if you didn't think that. Most people who run any organization think they know what's best for it, and a lot of the time they do. But if you aren't willing to listen to Outsiders, you may miss a great idea or the opportunity to gain market share. And from what I can tell, market share is a big deal in your line of work. So how do I get the input of Outsiders, Ray asked. You ask questions and then you listen. Fifty years ago, baseball was played during the daytime. Some in the game realized that if interest in the game was going to go up and profits along with it, then we had to gain more fans. Along came television and an opportunity to reach a lot of new fans. But people watch TV at night, so night baseball was the answer. Later, a lot of people would come to a game or two, but felt the game itself was too slow or boring. That led to mascots and chicken suits and video arcades, along with Jumbotron screens and batting cages. The point is, we listened to what outsiders were telling us, and we adjusted. If we're up to the insiders, the purists, we'd still be playing day games. So whose idea was the strike? Ray asked. What's that? The strike a few years ago. Which outsiders were you guys listening to when you came up with that idea? Ray knew he was treading on thin ice, but he also knew that his profession wasn't the only one that could become insider focus. Well, that was before I got into the game, but you're right. We weren't listening to the fans, and it cost us some of them. Ray decided to ease the tension. You don't have to tell me about insiders. Churches are full of them he said, thinking back on some of the many calls he had received over the years whenever he tried anything new. The funny thing is, most of them start out as outsiders. And that leads to one of the primary reasons that you have to listen to outsiders. If you don't, you will be driven by the complaints and demands of the insiders. And ultimately, your market share will dwindle. And in your line of work, there's more at stake than business. Pete, if I didn't know any better, I'd say you were on our side. Practice number five, listen to outsiders. The question you have to answer is, what can you learn from the people you're trying to reach? If you watch them and listen to them, they'll tell you what they think and want. Then you just have to figure out how to use that information. Don't be so concerned about keeping the folks you've got that you neglect the folks you're trying to reach. Why do you think this one is harder than the first four practices? Because you have to admit that you don't have all the answers, And that leads to the frightening realization that there might be someone else out there who can do your job better than you, which is a scary place to be, unless, of course, you get there on purpose. On purpose? That's right. Practice number six will get you there on purpose. In that case, let's stop at number five, Ray said, not sure if he was kidding or not. Chapter 14. Listen to outsiders. Focus on who you're trying to reach, not who you're trying to keep. As James Earl Jones intones in his famous soliloquy from the movie Field of Dreams, the one constant through all the years has been baseball. America has rolled by like an army of steamrollers. It has been erased like a blackboard, rebuilt and erased again. But baseball has marked the time. Through the past 150 years, America had endured a civil war, two world wars, strong economies, weak economies, and even a Great Depression. But there had always been baseball. Until 1994, the year of the strike. That year, baseball insiders were busy doing what insiders in any organization naturally do. Discussing, debating, and negotiating with each other. The collective bargaining agreement between the players' union and the team owners had elapsed, and the season had begun without a new contract in place. Every decision made during the spring and summer months that followed... Reflected the interests of those who profited momentarily from baseball, and America learned that when it came to their beloved game, there were two groups of people. There were the insiders, the owners, the players, the lawyers, and the unions, and there were the outsiders, the fans. Every once in a while, the media would interview a disgruntled fan who voiced the discontent of the people. Occasionally, someone representing the owners or the players would address the public and talk in exalted terms about the best interests of baseball and its fans. But the truth is that the fans were on the outside of the debate, and there wasn't a fan in America who wanted a strike. There were legitimate complaints on both sides of the bargaining table, and there were players and owners who genuinely didn't want a strike. But in the end, a labor stoppage could not be averted, And although millions in revenue from ticket sales and television contracts were lost, the real losers were the fans, the outsiders. For the first time in a century, there was no World Series. Insider Thinking It's easy for the needs or interests of insiders to ultimately drive the priorities of any organization. It's just the natural tendency of any group to become insider-focused. If you're surrounded long enough by people who think like you think, you will become more and more certain that's the best way to think. Over time, you find yourself inclined to completely disregard the concerned voices of those positioned on the outside. Shortly after moving to Atlanta, Debbie and I decided we needed a new car. So we spent an entire Saturday with all four of our elementary-age kids going from dealership to dealership in the metro area. The ordeal was so draining... We almost decided to take our bicycles out of storage and wait another year before even thinking about car shopping again. Everything I despised about trying to buy an automobile had come flooding back. The rote discourse that begins, We have a special this weekend only. A salesman I've never met before pretending he's my best friend until he finds out what I can actually afford. Being pressured to make a decision that I don't really want or need to make arguing over an inflated price tag when all I really want to know is the bottom line. At one dealer, I walked up unnoticed behind two salespeople and overheard one ask the other, how many did you get today? I remember thinking, I don't want to be got. I just want somebody to help me. You may say that's just the nature of buying and selling cars, but what we've discovered at the last dealership that day was a refreshing surprise. First of all, we actually made it to the door of the showroom without getting ambushed by an overzealous salesman. I remember stepping into a large room with computer terminals lined against the walls. There was a central visitor's desk with a sign that read, Let us know if you need assistance. In the back corner was a glassed-in playground for the kids, staffed with a babysitter. And on the other side was a small cafe that provided snacks and drinks. We gave our name to the host of the visitor desk, checked our kids in at the playground and sat down at a touchscreen computer we typed in our price range and the model we were interested in and the computer printed a list of compatible cars with their pictures and prices the printout even showed us where the cars were located on the lot soon someone called our name and we met the salesperson assigned to, to us after introducing himself the salesperson said something astonishing our company goes out of its way to hire people who are not professional car salesmen. The majority of us are not professionals. This is my first job selling cars. I'm pretty much just like you. There's something else you need to know. The prices shown on the stickers are the bottom line. We haven't built in inflated costs, so that also means there's no negotiation. We'll just keep working with you till you're comfortable with what we offer. When I left that day, I didn't feel beat up or used. No one had manipulated or pressured me, and I came really close to buying a car. Thinking outside, most car dealerships have one priority, to sell a car, but this one had a different priority, to help a customer. I imagine somebody stood up in a meeting one day and said, Guys, we've been in this business for so long, we've forgotten what it's like to have to buy a car. We need to rethink how we are treating the customer and remember what it is like to walk in their shoes. Some of us have been in church for so long, we've forgotten what it's like to never attend. We have believed what we believe for so long, we don't know how an unbeliever thinks anymore. And when the average person shows up at a church for the first time, too often he or she feels like the customer who walks into a new car lot. In many cases, the person leaves feeling suspicious, pressured, and even manipulated. North Point Community Church was established in part to be an alternative to what most people experience at other churches. We created a church with outsiders in mind. After all, Atlanta didn't need another church. There are more churches than Waffle Houses in Atlanta. And if you've ever been to the South, you know that's a lot of churches. Still, most people in Atlanta weren't going to church. So we made it our goal not to reach those who are already going to church, but to reach everyone else. Consider these statistics. According to Barna Research, about 100 million Americans of all ages are unchurched. George Barna claims if all of the unchurched people in the United States were a nation of their own, they would be the 11th most populated country on earth. Now that's a lot of untapped outsiders. You probably drive by them every Sunday on your way to church. You also pass a number of churches along the way, most of which are not filled to capacity. So if a large portion of the population is not going to church and the majority of churches are not full, that means there's a lot of room in the churches that exist for people who are not going. And yet most churches now being built are patterned after churches that already exist. Our point is that churches all over this country are striving to reflect the interests, values, and needs of people who are already attending church. The church today is primarily characterized by insiders reaching insiders. Read or study any report about church attendance in America. They all suggest the same thing. Each generation is more skeptical and less likely to attend. Most experts believe that 70% of college students who have grown up in church will drop out when they go to college. Attendance is declining, and those on the outside seem to have a growing indifference towards what the church has to offer. Millions of outsiders see what the church does as being irrelevant, and yet most churches continue to do business as usual. Just for logic's sake, let's apply some common business sense to this situation. Would it make more sense to try and capture a market that is already saturated, where the majority of customers are presently using your product Or would you go after the hundred million people who are not using your product? You can either continue to reach the customers that have already been reached, or you can attempt to reach new customers. If that language feels a little too secular, let's try to clarify the concept scripturally. Jesus said, He came to seek and to save what was lost. Luke 19.10 He commanded his followers to go into all the world and make disciples of those who are not followers. One day, Jesus pushed the concept to a radical extreme when he told the story about a shepherd who had a hundred sheep. He suggested that it was appropriate to abandon the 99 that were safe in order to find the one that was lost. When to ignore the insiders. What do you think Jesus would say about abandoning the almost 60% who presently attend church in America to reach the 40% who do not go? There is a massive potential audience being sacrificed because many churches are desperately trying to keep a handful of traditional customers satisfied. The fact is, you will rarely have to be intentional about listening to insiders in ministry. They will let you know what they think. Why? Because they are there. When is the last time you heard from someone who does not come to your church? You don't hear from them because they are not there and that's why you have to be deliberate if you want to know what they are thinking. None of us can remember a time when someone who was unchurched called us to say, I just wanted you to know that if you would do things different, then I would start coming to your church. But we have endured countless phone calls and meetings with insiders who are frustrated or complaining when something didn't go their way. Obviously, problems may arise if you choose to ignore your insiders for the sake of reaching outsiders, What if you lose some of the insiders? Chances are you will, especially if the insiders are used to having their church world revolve around them. Some church leaders will warn against sacrificing discipleship for an approach that is too evangelistic, as if it were possible to be too evangelistic. Others will caution you about making a careful transition to this new emphasis in order to get everyone on board as if everyone will get on board. We're not suggesting imbalance, nor are we suggesting you be careless. You should lead your church to invest in outsiders strategically. You should strive to find a delicate balance between facilitating the growth of believers and reaching those who are unchurched. But don't make the mistake of piling up excuses and saddling your ministry with an insider mindset that paralyzes your potential to reach outsiders. Too many churches are hiding behind what is convenient and comfortable while an entire generation is being left in the dark. Any church with any history at all wrestles with becoming an insider-minded organization. During the early days of North Point, a handful of frustrated members threatened to leave because we were not accommodating their specific needs. The easy decision would have been to accommodate them, to start whatever program we needed to make them happy. But what Andy said to me that day has to be liberating for anyone in ministry with a passion to reach outsiders. He said, This decision can't be based on who we will keep, but on who we will reach. Listen to insiders who listen to outsiders. During one of our Monday morning meetings, we were struggling to clarify our values as an organization. A defining moment happened when a critical question was put on the table. What would be something that, if it ceased to be true about us as a church, would make us want to quit or go work somewhere else? Every one of us admitted we would quit if our church became so saturated with believers that there was no room to reach outsiders. The glue that has held our leadership team together through countless debates is an uncompromising commitment to create environments that will appeal to the unchurch. We strive to make North Point not only a safe place for outsiders, but also a safe place for insiders to bring outsiders, a place for believers to bring their unchurched friends. During the first year of our existence, we crafted the phrase invest and invite as a way to challenge every leader and attendee to make outsiders their priority. This simple statement suggests that every person is responsible to make a personal investment in someone's life and bringing them to one of North Point's environments. The concept has been contagious with everyone from leaders and elders to staff and attendees. We even know of some unbelievers who have invested and invited other outsiders. When an insider invests in someone outside the church, something changes. The heart follows the investment, and the result is an authentic relationship between an insider and an outsider. That's why Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What we have seen happen in the hearts of the insiders has been just as significant as what we have witnessed in the hearts of the outsiders. The invest and invite strategy has affected our church in a number of ways. The invest-and-invite strategy has radically changed our approach to evangelism. Many of us grew up in churches that taught evangelism classes, gave altar calls, handed out tracts, and sent members to knock on doors of strangers. However, none of these approaches effectively mobilized the majority of members to become personally involved in reaching the unchurched. To the average believer, most of these techniques seem too confrontational or awkward. And so the responsibility of evangelism was usually assumed by a handful of trained experts. Later, many churches shifted towards a more natural approach, giving rise to a movement known as lifestyle evangelism or relational evangelism. The idea was that everyone should reprioritize their friendships to make sure they were investing in someone who needed Christ. This encourages spiritual dialogue in a safe context of authentic friendships for both the insider and outsider, It's the opposite of the typical car salesman approach to evangelism. Lifestyle evangelism works in concert with the ways relationships naturally happen, and it is something that almost every believer can do. There's only one problem. This approach can come up short for a number of reasons. For example, every believer speaks from a different level of spiritual maturity. What do you do when you have taken a friend as far as you can? Where does your friend go then? How do you explain issues you may not feel equipped to explain? That's why we say invest and invite. The invite allows the believer to bring a friend into an environment where such issues can be addressed. Our foyer and kitchen environments are designed to be non-threatening, comfortable places to help unchurched friends move to the next step in their spiritual journey. Of course, if we encourage attendees to practice investing without creating an effective environment where they can invite someone, the entire concept will break down. The majority of believers feel inadequate to evangelize their friends if they don't feel like the church will provide a support when the questions become too complicated for the average believer to answer. When both sides of the invest and invite principle are practiced fervently, then everyone does what everyone does best. Believers become passionate about sharing their faith with friends, and staff members devote themselves to crafting environments where unchurched friends will feel welcomed and cared for. Sidebar, formal or informal invitation from North Point's playbook. A leader from another church who visited our services asked, Why aren't you evangelistic? It was surprising to us that he had attended a number of our environments and yet wondered about our passion to reach outsiders. He said, I noticed that at the end of your service, you did not give a formal invitation. For many, evangelism is defined as giving an altar call of some kind at the end of every service. It makes sense. If your priority is to reach outsiders, then why would you pass up an opportunity for them to respond to the gospel? On the other hand, we have discovered that a formal invitation has the potential to become a barrier for some people. We challenge the same church leader with some questions of our own. Should we assume that everyone who comes into our church, regardless of their background, is okay with the idea of standing up and pushing their way past a group of strangers? Do you think it's necessary for someone to go in front of several thousand people and have a discussion with someone they've never met about what they think is a very personal issue? Don't misunderstand. We're not suggesting that kind of invitation is wrong, and certainly it is important to help everyone know how to take the next step to become a Christian. But we believe that our invest-invite strategy is helping many of our members to give friends a more personal, informal invitation every Sunday. And we are convinced by the stories and testimonies from a number of people who trust Christ each week that a formal invitation should not be a weekly part of our particular culture. Every church has to discover what works in their culture to help outsiders take the important step to becoming a Christian. But chances are, if our staff showed up at a church that did a formal invitation each week where outsiders were coerced to take that long walk before they could become a Christian, we might be tempted to ask that church, Why aren't you evangelistic? Why do you make it so difficult for someone to trust Christ when the Bible makes it so simple? The invest and invite strategy inspires everyone to listen more attentively to what an outsider hears. When outsiders are invited to attend and they actually show up, everything changes. Imagine this scenario. You have worked side by side with an associate for a number of years. You have invested in his life. You spend quality time with him and his family. You have proven to be a trusted friend in his life, and you have encouraged him for several months to visit your church. At the end of your workday one Friday, he announces to you that he is planning to bring his family to visit your church that Sunday. How does that make you feel? Do you begin to wonder about what the church is planning for Sunday? You may even be tempted to call and see who is speaking or what the topic is, just to be sure that everything is going to be just right. How will it affect you as you sit next to Him during the service? The fact is, that day will be different for you than a typical Sunday. You will hear everything differently as you try to imagine how your friend is hearing what is being said you will be listening through the ears of an outsider. When enough people show up with friends on a consistent basis, everyone in your church will be forced to listen through an entirely different filter. Everything your church does will be evaluated by a much more critical standard. We have discovered that inviting outsiders effectively keeps us aware and sensitive to how they think and what they need. If we drop the ball on any given Sunday, it is not uncommon for us to get a flood of emails with suggestions on how we can improve. People want their friends to have a good first impression of the church. It puts healthy pressure on us to consider carefully how we program and communicate. That doesn't mean we water down the truth of what we teach, but we are keenly aware of how we say what we say. Andy, for example, is careful when approaching an issue that he knows is going to be awkward for outsiders to handle. Sometimes it is as simple as Andy acknowledging that we understand that they may think our perspective seems illogical or narrow. Sometimes that's just the nature of the truth we teach. The worst thing to do would be to simply teach the insiders as if outsiders were not in the room. Then we would be guilty of ignoring and even being rude to our guests. When attendees and volunteers are accustomed to having the unchurched or unbelievers in attendance, they cannot help but recognize the significance of how they act and serve. We have seen members give up seats for visitors and, in many cases, attend an earlier, less crowded service to make room for outsiders. When kid stuff became so crowded that some families couldn't get in, there were actually parents who stopped coming just so unchurched families could participate. From the parking lot to the nursery— everyone seems to be aware of and committed to making outsiders feel at home. To put it another way, our insiders have decided that the needs of outsiders are more important than their own. When that happens, the listen-to-outsiders practice has become an integral part of your culture. Our leadership team has recently debated the question, who is our customer? At one level, we all agree that our primary customer is the outsider who is not attending. But we have also admitted that the best way to listen to outsiders is to listen to the insiders who are outsider-minded. If their hearts are really focused on the needs and issues that outsiders face, then what they have to say to us is critical. Listen to organizations that are reaching outsiders. Years ago, Tony Campolo wrote a book with the intriguing title, We Have Met the Enemy and They Are Partly Right. In it, Compolo implied that Christians could learn a lot from organizations that are not Christian. It makes sense that if we are targeting a certain age group or demographic, we need to study the experts in our culture that have proven most effective at reaching that group. For example, our children's ministries keep an eye on the Disney Channel, Nickelodeon, the Cartoon Network, etc. Our student ministry will learn from MTV and the WB Network when it comes to identifying student issues. Recently, when Andy worked on his series for men and women in business, we brought in numerous back issues of Fast Company Magazine and covered a creative board with articles that addressed issues the business community was currently facing. Billions of dollars are spent every year by organizations in order to learn about and market to the same outsiders we are trying to reach. In a number of instances, when we thought we intuitively understood the issues, we found out we were wrong. Again, many of us have been inside so long we have become deaf to what outsiders say their real needs are. If you are deaf long enough, it affects the way you speak. The reason a lot of churches are not connecting to outsiders is that they just haven't spent enough time learning the right language. To effectively listen to outsiders, you must learn their language, speaking the right language. Years ago, I attended a denominational pastors conference where Bill Hybels had been invited to speak. It was extremely rare for someone outside the denomination to speak, and there was some controversy over the event as a number of pastors questioned the decision to give Hybels the platform. For one thing, some denominational leaders quibbled over the use of drama, secular music, and other techniques that Willow Creek had implemented to effectively reach outsiders. The next day, there was tension in the air when Bill Hybels stepped onto the platform. Following a challenging performance by Willow Creek's drama team, Heibels focused on an illustration of Jesus attending a party at Matthew's house. Throughout the hour, he crafted a classic message about having a heart to seek and save the lost. I was strategically positioned behind one of the denomination's prominent leaders, eagerly waiting to hear his response to what Heibels had to say. Halfway through the message, he leaned over to one of the younger pastors and remarked, I don't see what all the fuss is about. He doesn't sound like a preacher at all. He speaks more like a layman. I remember thinking, you've been listening through the ears of a preacher for so long, you can't hear what you need to hear. You're missing it. You are evaluating his preaching technique instead of listening to what he is saying. Besides, isn't that the point? Bill Hybels should speak like a layman. He is passionate about speaking the language of the people he is trying to reach, and that's why he is reaching thousands of seekers every week. That was more than a decade ago, and it's sad to think there are still leaders who just don't get it. Bill Hybels has been a pioneer in rethinking a church's role in reaching the culture. Most leaders who heard Hybels that day went back to business as usual in churches with declining attendance. But there are some who became dissatisfied with simply nurturing and reaching insiders and were inspired to change the way they do church. The Day America Went to Church The Sunday following September eleventh, two 2001, Should be etched in every church leader's mind forever. Our world had been rocked by one of the greatest tragedies in American history, and it is interesting to note where the majority of our population turned during the crisis. The average American, who was generally disinterested in matters of faith, showed up at their local church that Sunday. At North Point, the building was jammed with outsiders. People were on edge and they needed spiritual direction. Late that night, I was at home with one of my teenage daughters watching the news. A major network had documented what happened that day at churches across the country. We sat and watched footage of thousands of people lining up outside synagogues, cathedrals, and churches. We listened to sound bites and experts from priests, rabbis, and pastors as they addressed the public at this critical moment in our nation's history. But that night, we both listened with different ears. When the program ended, my daughter said, "'It's so sad.'" What do you mean, I asked, that all those people went to church and it doesn't seem like anyone said what they needed to hear. Then she said, I just really wish they had heard what I heard today. The next week, the crowds dwindled and most churches went back to their routines. What if we decided every Sunday had the potential to be like that Sunday following September 11th? What if we spent every week getting ready for a host of outsiders who could possibly show up When you listen to outsiders, it forces you to change the way you do church. Discussion questions, improving your game. List the environments outside of your organization where you regularly interact with unchurched people. In what areas should your organization carefully guard against the tendency of catering to the insiders? Which environments in your organization have been specifically designed with outsiders in mind? And who are the outside experts reaching your target audience?